Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Today's Amen. scripture reading is from Luke, the 14th chapter, verses 12 to 24. It can be found in the Sanctuary Bible on page 77 of the New Testament. Listen now for God's living word. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my apologies. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please accept my apologies. Another said, I have just been married, and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, sir, what you ordered has been done and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Reveal, O God, your wonder to our eyes. Open our hearts to Christ's love. Disperse from our minds any darkness and fill our lives with your light. Protect us, O God, from thoughts without action. Guard us from words without life. Grant us wisdom to walk in your ways and open us always to the guiding of your spirit. Amen. So I recently heard the comedian Jim Gaffigan make fun of Canadians. The best part of the show, best thing about the show, I guess, was that he was in a room full of Canadians. And it was quite a show. He made jokes about Canadian politeness. He made jokes about poutine. He said, it's like Canadians were asking how to make French fries less healthy. He made jokes about the Northwest Territories being the Northwest Territories. Where do you live? Oh, you know, the Northwest Territories. They deserve a more specific name, Gaffigan said. He even made fun of the Canadian flag. 
really, you go to someone else's country and you make fun of their flag, but he's pointing out that there's only a single maple leaf on it. If it were any other country, they would have displayed all the leaves they could find. I never imagined a joke like that even being funny, but somehow he made it funny, and then he even went on to make fun of Quebec. I mean, there was a woman who was sitting a few rows behind us who, who audibly said, Oh, don't go there. He really went there. <laughs> and, and the amazing thing about it is that everyone was laughing. People weren't offended. Jim was an American guest in a Canadian venue, and he managed to turn Canadian values and habits into humor. And perhaps what made it all so funny is that Gaffigan was right. He was right on every account. He observed and understood Canadian culture down to this science, and no one could argue with him, and no one could stop laughing. My jaw hurt at the end of the night. And then he turned to Americans, but those jokes don't belong in this sermon. But how does he do this? Gaffigan does it by making observations and then questioning the observation. He asks everyone in the room about common knowledge, things that people take that we take as given. And then he asks us to consider another perspective. And we all laugh and, and we say, yeah, that, that's right. Why is that? Now, when Jesus tells a parable, he's asking people to think in a new way, to move toward a new perspective, toward God's perspective. Generally, this comes after someone makes an assumption, an assumption that usually, in most cases, is true but lacks nuance or lacks a deeper understanding of, of human experience. And Jesus offers an observation about the way people say the world works. To do this, Jesus often uses stories called parables. And in a parable, Jesus relates an understanding of how the world works with an understanding of how God works in the world, and they're juxtaposed. They are put in relationship with one another. And in the end, it's hard to find quite a right answer, but we begin moving in a direction toward God's now, way of thinking. The parable this morning is a scene in Scripture where Jesus is at a great party, a big dinner party. And I love when Jesus is at dinner parties. He's so good at upsetting polite company. Just enough truth to be, to be convicting, but not so much that people so one of these dinner argue. guests at this party says to Jesus, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then the scripture telling the story says, Then Jesus said to him, which this is Jesus saying, Oh, hang on. Have you heard the one about the kingdom of God? What do you really know about the kingdom of God? Instead of an abruptness that would create an immediate conflict, 
Jesus brings provocation through a humorous, actually, before it gets serious. You see, this is, this is kind of a little bit of first century humor. The question that Jesus is put, putting before us, though, is serious. Who belongs at God's table? Who is invited to God's feast? So Jesus tells this parable about a person hosting a banquet, which makes sense because they're currently at a banquet. It's very relatable. And now that everything is ready in the parable, the guests who've RSVP'd are beginning to decline. They're turning down this amazing offer of this dinner. So instead of enjoying an exquisite feast that they have been invited to, one guest says, I need to go check on a piece of land that I've acquired. Another says, I just bought five yoke, ten oxen, and I'm, I'm going to go try them out. One guest says, I just got married, sorry, cannot come. And these all seem like reasonable excuses. Some commentator out there is thinking, well, maybe not the third one, right, honey? Bible isn't always gender appropriate. And to the gospel writer who is portraying Jesus here, this gospel writer is laughing. And those people who Jesus is speaking to in this, speaking to at this dinner party, those who he's telling this parable to, we should be imagining them laughing. This is funny to them. And if anything, this grand banquet would really be the perfect opportunity to announce one's new status. You see, to miss this party, if you are one of these who've turned it down, is foolish. Because one person will be able to say, I just got a condo in Florida, let me tell you about it. Another one would say, I just got the newest beautiful car that everybody wants, but I have one. Let me tell you about it. Or, I just got married, and my partner is attractive. Let me introduce you to her. You are jealous. Jesus is doing to these wealthy Palestinians what Jim Gaffigan did to Canadians. Except in the end, the Canadians were still laughing. In Palestine, at the time of Jesus, land was security, oxen were prestige, marriage and family were hope for the future. And all of these are reasons to celebrate a person's success, a person's hope for the future. But they would hardly have been a reason to change their RSVP to a dinner party full of important After people. The observation, observation that Jesus makes comes a bit of truth. When Jesus starts teaching, the joke is on those who he's entertaining. Jesus describes the host as unsatisfied by these no-shows, and so he empowers his servants. Invite the cripple and the lame, invite the blind and the poor, invite the entire town. Go out into the roads and the streets. Compel people to come into my house so that it may 
be filled. And they go out and they do this. And guess what? They come back and there is still room. There is still room for more people. Our question of who is invited turned on its head. Why would someone find themselves invited to God's feast? An invitation, an invitation of grace, where we are invited to RSVP. The question is, though, will we follow through on that invitation, even if we say yes? The party is grand, the invitation open, but will the people choose their way over God's way? The parable here points to God's priorities. In Jesus, God is organizing the world around mercy and justice and love. God's vision of who belongs is expansive. It's big. Who is invited to have a seat at the table is actually transformative and larger than we can know or understand. The parable is God's call to act and respond with the love that we know from God. Now, Harvest Sunday is a Sunday when we give thanks, when we celebrate God and God's gifts of grace, God's gifts of creation. We give thanks for the food that comes from that creation. It's much like what we do when we gather around a table for Thanksgiving. The work of Thanksgiving often evokes a Saturday evening post kind of thinking, a Norman Rockwell world of a large turkey being placed on a table with an eager family and dinner guests huddling in, leaning into the feast. But one of the hard truths about harvest is that we still remember that there are bare cupboards There are tables with small and meager amounts of food. There are homes still without a table at all. A few years ago, there was a food assessment done for our zip code, this zip code, 48214. It was produced by the fellows at Challenge Detroit, and it describes the real challenges that our neighborhood faces regarding food security. Low vehicle ownership, limited grocery options makes access hard. The median family income for the zip code is not quite half the national average. The people need to make hard choices about what they spend their money on. Wayne County as a whole reports that 23% of children, 23% in the whole county. The survey Their study also surveyed students right in the neighborhood, Nichols School students, students we know, students we love, students who are in our building. It appeared that they were knowledgeable about healthy diets, about healthy food they'd learned, they'd been taught. The survey also showed that fresh foods were the least consumed of the food groups among them. It was not uncommon for meals to be missed for having a lack of food in the home. 
The contributing factors are, of course, complex and they're varied. Families with low incomes, even less education, social issues, few job opportunities. Where food insecurity exists, it is because of inadequate physical, social, and economic access to fresh food and the opportunities to purchase it, as well as to prepare and store it properly. Systemic problems like these require us to observe and act in new ways, and these are problems that are only solved by seeing the world with new perspectives. This means that we need to observe. We need awareness. We need God. We need the church. And this church seeks to fill gaps in hunger, in food insecurity. The deacons deliver Christmas baskets, a huge number of Christmas baskets every year to neighbors who need the support at holiday time when money gets tight. We cook and serve meals every month for everyone eats. We deliver bags to nickel school kids every Friday for the students. We call it Every Kid Eats. And among those bags, there is a total of 128 meals for the weekend and 32 snacks. That's every week that school's in session. And there are emergency bags for the homeless who come to the door, a small food pantry. I could keep going on, but... While all this is great, it still just fills in the gaps. There's more still needed. Too often these days we question how the church church could do more. We speak about God's call to a new heaven and a new earth. And the new heaven is for another event in our lives for the time being. While we breathe, we live as part of a creation that God is recreating. We live as part of of a harvest. I think churches, including this one, are undergoing exciting transformations this day and age. I know most conversations about church in general in the media and other places involves closing or dying. Breaks my heart. Because when we talk like this about church, we're talking like we too often talk about households in poverty Bare cupboards become bare pews, and houses without furniture become congregations without programs, and single-parent households become churches that have less staff than they were once used to. But God is God of the harvest, not God of the famine. And when I look at the issue of hunger and what it asks for in terms of change, We see more stopgap measures out in the world. We see more band-aids than anything else. We take attempts at advocacy but don't know what to do always. And we need more than just doing more. We need more than just these stopgap measures. We need more than just the advocacy. And I think the church's greatest call puts it in a unique position for transformation of the world which is to be for others what Christ is for the church. A careful observer, a graceful presence, a loving neighbor. The church can open doors rather than close them. And it starts with seeing ourselves and our church in new ways, with new perspectives. 
There's a pastor named Amy Butler. There's a provocative question to this end. She asked, what if the church went anywhere people gather to tell a narrative of hope and go engage in rituals that heal us and builds communities that reflect our deepest values? The risk of seeming idealistic. I think this is why church matters. It is why it matters to us and why it matters around issues like food insecurity because the church can be a place of shelter from problems in the world. The church can be a place of welcome in a world lacking hospitality. The church can be a place of love where there are lonely or hurting people. The church can be a place where that nourishes and real hungers. And the church can invite people to experience God's invitation. The church can go out to the streets and the lanes and the neighborhoods. Let people know that they belong at God's table. It can do all these things because God is growing something that sustains in the people that call themselves the church. And God's been doing this for a long, long time. Still doing it. God is still inviting people to God's great banquet, and we have been called to keep the feast. Whether it's a feast of food or it's a feast of love, we have been called, we have been invited. But will we go? May the church always respond to that invitation and go out to the world with love and hope and peace. Thanks be to God today and always. Amen.